We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the Bee Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. Have you ever caught yourself saying you care about something, but then you just kind of forget about it and move on? Well, that's what's most important about this episode of Seeing to Lead with Bo Ryan. He talks about, and his motto is, care enough to take action. Look, if we care about something enough in education or any other aspect of our life, we have to be willing to take action to achieve the goals we set. And that's just what happens in his school as he's helped set teachers up to be successful in taking action. You know, it's part of a team and teamwork. And he brings that team mentality from his past into his current work as the principal of his school. When he interviews people and brings them on board, he talks about how much of a team member they can be. Because if we're truly going to improve ourselves and make cultures better in schools, we have to realize and utilize the importance of teams. The first thing is we have to realize that student experiences aren't always the same as our own personal experience when we were in school. And that's how we get better. With that realization, that understanding, and then in teamwork, we understand that being guided by a process and coached by a leader is what helps us all be effective. And the leadership that he talks about is tight, loose leadership. Bo and I knew each other. I say knew each other. We've known each other for decades. And we went to high school together. We played junior football together. And he really is passionate about education and making sure PLCs are actual PLCs and not just lip service. His book that he recently came out with, Brilliance in the Building, is just chock full of resources and basically lays a roadmap out as to how we can create true, meaningful, authentic, and effective PLCs in our building so that all students succeed and staff grows along with them. This is great conversation. I thank you for tuning in. And well, as I like to say, let's get to getting better with Bo Ryan, caring enough to take action. One of the things uh, I write about, like culture care, do you care enough? Like it's easy. Yeah, I'm in education because I care. Okay, do you care enough to take action? Do you care enough to go into these neighborhoods 
And maybe if you have to track down a kid, do you care enough to do a home visit? I've done 2000 in my career in neighborhoods that that many people don't go through. So I think it's it's, it's creating a culture of care. But do you care enough to take action? Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Bo Ryan is principal of the Anna Grace Academy of the Arts Magnet School in Bloomfield, Connecticut. He's passionate about building and sustaining professional learning communities and has led two different schools to model PLC certification. Woodside Intermediate School in 2012, and Greater Hartford Academy at the Arts Magnet Middle School in 2016, just four years after it opened. Bo's worked in education since 1994, serving as a teacher, coach, and principal. He started his career in education as a graduate assistant football coach for Syracuse University, coaching in two bowl games. Bo started his teaching career at John C. Clark Elementary School in Hartford, Connecticut, where he was recognized as the city's teacher and educator of the year. During his time there, Bo created various before and after school programs for hundreds of students. Bo also instructed a graduate class on PLCs and interventions as an adjunct professor at the University of St. Joseph in Hartford, Connecticut. His article, Learning by Doing the Arts Middle Way, is published in All Things PLC Magazine. And I have to say, you know, just in full disclosure, I know Bo, we grew up together, went to high school together, played ball together in good old Meriden, Connecticut, and I am psyched to talk to him today. Bo's an energetic, passionate leader, and you're going to learn tons from this. So, Bo, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. It's great to see a guy from Meriden, one of my favorite guys. I've known Chris Jones probably 52 since we were 10, so about 40, 42 years. We're reconnecting, and we played junior football together. We went on to play high school together. And then I haven't seen this guy for years, and I see him on and I'm like, he's doing great things writing a book. So I love him, and I'm proud of him, and thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great. Thank you, boy. Good old Meriden Raiders before we got to it. the Panthers. <laughs> yeah, yep. So we played together for a long time, man. It's pretty awesome. So, Bo, and you talk about my book. You've got a book out yourself that we're going to definitely get to in this podcast because it has to do with PLCs. And I was talking about it better, what a great resource it is. It's The Brilliance in the Building. Affecting change in urban schools with a PLC at work process. I want to ask you about is, like I said, you're a passionate guy. What are you passionate about in education? What keeps you going and what keeps you making these new structures and supports for students? I think I'm passionate about the opportunity that we all have as adults and educators. And I could get into the why behind that. For me, I had two parents, but I had the blessing of growing up in a neighborhood where no one else had two parents in an urban inner city. Meriden neighborhood where we had two parents, most of the three, four family homes. And I got to see things that a lot of kids didn't have the opportunity to see. And then as a middle school student, there was a whole bunch of us that would go part of the book of written. We would all go up, be like 12 of us. We'd walk down and we all lived in neighborhood schools and we walked to those schools. And there was a lot of shenanigans that took place on the way. 
But once we got there, I went into the school. Many of the kids went to a portable outside the school. All those kids who did that, none of them went to high school. And it was kids I grew up with right across the street. And you could, you know, how are we supporting and helping those kids? Then in high school, I played football and I was able to do just enough to stay out of trouble. And then my dad got me into a prep school and it changed my life. Totally changed. I found out I could be a good student. I found out with quality education, what can happen. So I went in May of that year. So I didn't graduate with my high school class. One of the things I remember worse, I worked the whole summer there, Cushing Academy in Ashburnham, Mass. What I remember the most is walking the first day of school and thinking about all these kids in my neighborhood. And I don't want to say the names. All these kids started this kid, this this kid, and started tearing up a little bit. Like, man, why do I have this opportunity? Like, why is it me? So, so every day I try to make sure I connect with as many people as I can and give back because it wasn't for my mom. In middle school, which I left out, I was doing things that was violating like the law and doing things where my mother had to change her work hours, and she did. She changed it from working during days to the evening so she can check on me in middle school and created a scared straight program where I met with the police and they talked about things that we were doing and things the kids were doing. So to have those two influences help change my life, I owe a lot of people. And I'm just humbled and grateful that I have opportunities to make it. And then later on in life, create a lot of templates as a principal so people can kind of learn and get better. Teachers teachers won't go and they won't have time to read a book. So I'll take six books, put it together in a template, and then that's a, a thing that we'll kind of do to get better. But I'm, I'm passionate about helping kids, passionate about the profession, and just fortunate that I'm able to do it. I mean, I wouldn't if I didn't have my mother and father who helped me through those. And then through the times, you, you meet great educators. When I was uh, in middle school in, in Washington, middle, married in Connecticut, the old Washington, we had a principal, his name was Dr. Ferry, who had a love for kids like, like me and other kids in my neighborhood who got in trouble. And he, you know, he, he still was strong on us. But he always came back and he always forgave you and he always cared about you and he'd go out his way for you. And that was kind of my model. And when I became principal in Cromwell, my first principal job, he came out there and he was crying. He was still getting me in a headlock and that (laughs) stuff like he was always doing. So that's what I'm passionate about. That's awesome. And first off, thanks for sharing that story. That's, you know, being vulnerable like that and telling people exactly where you're coming from and why. It means a lot. You know, you said something that's really important there is that you found out you could be a good student. And all too often, that's where we kind of fall. And, you know, that's one of the things that I talk about is supporting teachers, engaging teachers, and empowering teachers. And that nobody ever comes to work during the day and says, hey, today, you know what, guess what? I think I I just want to suck. Nobody does that. And students don't do that. No. So how do we as leaders support teachers in getting better each day and support and so that they support students in getting better every day so that people realize that they could they can be a good student or a better student and teachers realize they can be a better teacher uh, a couple of things one of the things first i'm fortunate to, to work for solution tree so i'm a principal and then i also work for solution tree and i'm on some nationally certified teams and we help schools one of them is transforming school culture led by the great dr anthony muhammad one of the things he talks about in his books is that all, most teachers were always in school doing the right thing. So school always worked for them because I went to school. I didn't need any extra help. I was a great student. So school worked for me. My life was a little different. I got in a lot of trouble and I got, but also I was on part of teams and I had a dad who was a coach and it was always promoting teamwork. And one of the things I learned while watching him was his how he planned for practice. I mean, he was a high school coach working 18 hours a day. Looked at it, and it was always the team concept. I was 
fortunate to to start my career at Syracuse University. I was a graduate assistant. If you're a graduate assistant, you're the you're kind of like the lowest of the low at the, in the coaching world. You go to graduate school and then you go coach. So you're working literally 18 hours a day, 19 hours a day doing that stuff. One of the things that people were going through, they weren't getting their master's degree. Like you, you'd have the opportunity. They just wanted to be coaches and they'd find ways to, I got, I left there with my degree. But one of the things I learned was the coaches. So Paul Pascaloni, who was from our area, Chris uh, Cheshire, one of the things that he was an elementary teacher first. So I got to watch how he led meetings. I got to watch how like if you came in, People presented, there was people like, but meeting was done, you're done. There was no wasted time in meetings. He's not sitting up reading the list. He would hand stuff to you and meetings went by like this. He used all the expertise. And one of the things that really dawned on me, we were eight and three. I think we finished 15th in the country. And then we brought in Virginia staff back in the day when they had Rondé Barber and they were really good. And I'm like, why are they bringing it? And it is just to keep learning. Like they wanted to keep getting better. And that's something that I found out. So when I became a teacher at J.C. Clark, one of the things I started, there wasn't a lot. Like now you can find information out. So I started really going out. I went a lot to Barnes and Nobles or bookstores. And then I read, picked up a book on the PLC process. And it was the exact same thing as I learned at Syracuse. Everything was based on teams. And a lot of people in Connecticut they or this area of the country don't really have a firm understanding of what that looks like. Like you and I can meet in a team. It doesn't mean we're, we're meeting in a team to benefit students. You could be talking about something that happened in, in class, or I could be talking about the principal, and that's not a real collaborative meeting. So we, for me, I think it's all about the collaboration. It's setting up time for teachers to meet. So having that 30-minute block we have every single day, we have a teacher prep, then we have a team 30 every single day, and teachers have some stuff to do. Like one of the things we're doing now is they're turning in, they're meeting with the team. So we have two math teachers, two ELA teachers, social studies and science. Math and ELA meet together. They plan out the month. They look at the priority standards for the month. They turn them into learning targets. They create those into scales. They then talk, they then pace out their unit. Because if you're not scripting your unit, you got to look at the, the district calendar say we got six half days over the next month. So let's stretch out this unit. And when we create this, what we call a learning block, blocks of time for learning. So teachers do that. And it doesn't matter what your curriculum is. You can look at step one and day seven and have a quick block and then give an assessment, see where kids are. You and I come talk about it and make changes to instruction. So for me, it's all about creating the collaborative time, but make sure they have the tools and resources to focus on the right work. And that's one of the big parts of the book is just a collection of all these tools and resources that can help teachers and teams collaborate because you can't help if you and I are, if you and I are ELA teachers together, we have to be doing the same thing. We have to be working on the same stuff. You may teach it a little different than me. That's okay. But the priority standard has to be the same because if kids need extra help, we can't help each other if we're doing different stuff and the whole system won't help. So that's a big part of what I feel is creating that culture of collaboration. When I was principal in Cromwell, that's something we did. And then the last 11 years here, we do that. And the products, like so far, I counted, we have 35 products created by teams that were turned into me that I, I looked at and, and responded back. I mean, that's a lot. Some schools say, I don't have any, our teachers work together and I don't have any products from their team. So, you know, in the first two months, we got 35. So that's awesome. And, you know, that's one of the things I love about your book because it talks about all this. 
And it speaks to this next question that I have. Part of it, the first half of it, first two thirds of it is all well-researched narrative about how this comes about. And then that last part is just chock full of resources. So people really need to grab this. But the question I have is we can set up time, right? And we can get that time for collaboration. But you brought up a great point. When I personally, when I run my meetings, I start all my meetings with either shout outs or wins so that people have that open mind and it's supposed to be a quick type of thing. But sometimes, right, I get a little loose while I'm doing it and we go a little longer than we should on on talking about some wins and you have to bring that conversation back. My point being is when you get that time and people are meeting together, how do you ensure that they're using that time as efficiently as possible? to talk about student progress, to talk about meeting goals? How do leaders make sure that occurs or support teachers and engage them in the process of that? So the first thing is, so we've had, we've been blessed. We've had in 11 years, we've had some staff that have been here. When we first came in here, I went into those meetings and actually coached them. So the stuff that I have in this book is interesting because I'll coach teams on the products, they'll send them back, and then I'll read more books and edit and revise those things so the team meeting is really guided by a product. Like for us, we have a system called learning blocks where we look at periods of time from one week to four weeks to two weeks, and we're going to plan that out with our collaborative partner. I have a template that we've been working on that they know how to use that is expected that they use during that time and then turn it into me by a certain period of time. My job to me is to make that template as clear as possible so I don't have to give feedback on the product, just encouragement and support. And I think that's huge. Hey, great job looking at these priority standards. This is fantastic. Excellent. Hey, I love how you created these learning scales. I love how you guys discuss the assignment. And that's what I think it is because we want them to keep doing it. But it's really the quality of the product, that the template that you give them and the product you get back. The templates that I've created in the book are all been used. And then I look at it and create something different. Then they use it again. And then I'll figure it out how to make it better. Like for us, one of the things, too, we have in there in our learning block, planning block that we have, what do we want to grade over this next semester? So if it's you and I, like like if a kid in, in urban schools, like if you have a kid failing because he doesn't do 10 do-nows, he's not going to make that up. But what if that kid is passing everything else? Those things shouldn't be graded. So we look at that and say, what are we grading? What are we not grading? And it's all driven by teachers. In PLC land, they have a thing called tight and loose. So there's tight practices. Yes, you're going to have 30 minutes. You're going to have tight, loose leadership. You're going to have, you're expected to meet with the team. You're expected to turn this in. But the looseness comes from you're selecting the priority standards. You're selecting how to create the scales. You're planning out the map. You're able to hold your instruction. It's not script. So the tight, loose leadership is big in that. And it goes along with your question of how do you know what they do? And it's my job if they don't turn it in to, to follow up with an email or follow up with a conversation. That's cool. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. 
full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. And so leadership is an important part of this and that whole culture of getting done. So let's dive into your book a little bit because I really, I mean, this. hey, I expected the world anyways because I know you as a guy. And I've known you for so long, but this book really hit me where, you know, just even starting into it, I started reflecting on it. One of the important things I noticed is that you break it up into cultures first, right? So your book goes through a culture of care, culture of collaboration, a culture of learning before it even talks about high quality instruction and then continuous improvement. I think that order is important for a reason, but I also want to hear you talk about how those things happen. So do you want to, you want to hit all of them? You want to hit one of them? I'm going to walk you through it. So really awesome. the culture of care to me was, that was interesting because it was a chapter at first that really I had as like the fourth chapter. And we were trying to figure out one thing, Solution Tree does an amazing job. They, that teamwork that they have, I mean, they help a kid like me write a book. So the teamwork they have, the ability, so they helped. That chapter was a chapter I knew had to be in a book, but we couldn't figure out like where it was going. I don't know if you had any reflections right in your book, but we couldn't figure out where to put it. So we put it in the front and we have six things we talk about. One, it starts with the staff. Like if you're going to create a culture of care, which I call the brilliance, the staff, which is the brilliance of the building. And let me backtrack. One of the things that when we wrote the book, they wanted to have all these things that are negative in urban school. Listen, if I work in an urban school, I know what problems there are. I don't need to keep hearing it. Let's help them with solutions. So that's why it's really a small tidbit of this is the challenge. And then a lot of like, this is how we're going to help. And this is why it's important. And this is, so culture of care was interesting. There's significant research on that, on helping kids in urban schools, treating them with great respect, love, and kindness, and then how those kids go on to college. And uh, there was studies on that in the book. One of the things I write about, like, culture of care, do you care? And like, it's easy. Yeah, I'm in education because I care. Okay, do you care enough to take action? Do you care enough to go into these neighborhoods? And maybe if you have to track down a kid, do you care enough to do a home visit? I've done 2,000 in my career in neighborhoods that many people don't go through. So I think it's creating a culture of care, but do you care enough to take action? So the first one talks about the staff in the building. When we interview staff, the two main things we want to know, do you care about kids and do you care about your teammate? And we really want to make sure that they can answer those questions with action steps. Like, do you care about kids? Like, okay, what are you going to show me? Do you care about your staff? Like, have you been on a team? Have you been on a band? Have you been in a a choir? Have you done something where you had to rely on someone else in order to make this presentation? The second second thing in culture of care, we talk about collaborative conversations on race and equity and take action. But for us, you can't have in anywhere, you can't have a collaborative conversation if you never met with a collaborative team. If collaboration is not part of your school function, and then you're going to say, let's have a discussion on race and equity. You can't do it because you've never been on a collaborative team. You don't know what norms are. You don't know what expectations. So for us, we have a lot of those discussions. We're using a book, a friend of mine, Ken Williams, Ruthless Equity. 
That is the book we're using. He's a guy who's who I know well. Yeah, you like it. Guy's fantastic. The third thing we talk about is being mission driven. Like, do you are you here for a reason? Do you care about these kids? Do you care about kids in urban areas? And then what are you doing? And sometimes there's drift that Ken Williams actually wrote about in his first book. And we really got to make sure that, no, we're really focused on our mission and we care about kids and we're going to come in because it's important to us that we help these kids. And then the next one is strengthening individual mindsets, like looking at our mindset and then the, the amount of research on schools in poverty and schools uh, in urban schools on mindset was interesting. But we really dig into mindsets and, and making sure we're trying to change our mindsets. And the learning block process actually helps teachers change their mindsets. Because if you look at small periods of time for kids learning, and we talk about giving a pre-assessment, a mid-assessment, end of the year. And then after each assessment, you're going to go have some flex time where you're going to give the kids more time and support. Those kids will learn. And I think it will change mindsets that when people say, well, kids can't learn. Yes, if you do the system the correct, kids are going to learn because you're going to meet with them immediately. <laughs> and they can and re-engage them and reintroduce them. And then the other thing, we have Kyle's leadership program here for Black and Hispanic kids. They're all kids that went to college. We started three years ago. They come whenever they can. My son is one of the kids that has come. So we have about 11, many of them graduated. So And the funds aren't as good as they used to be. But we went two years, two and a half. We still have some kids that work in and their number one job is to come in and let the kids see them with college degree or that they're going to college. I can tell these kids to go to college, but until you have visuals of that looks like them, kids that look like them, and then also for staff to see, yeah, these kids, these kids, they went to our school and now they're in college. And that kid was, we had one girl who started the whole thing, Dr. Jones. The girl was an eighth grader here, seventh grade, eighth grade. She was fighting. She was, she, but I like that. Like the, if she didn't have that spirit, she wouldn't have graduated from University of Miami. So she was one of our first people we hired. And I remember assistant principal said, well, you remember when she got in trouble in eighth grade? I said, that's great, man. If she's in college, she must be doing something right. And she used that fighting spirit she had to get where she did. The fifth piece we talk about culture of care is conducting home visits and community visits. In urban schools, man, you better get in those neighborhoods. It's easy to go in the outskirts. But no, let's go in there. We give we have backpack giveaways in Harvard's North End. We've done, since I've been at this school 11 years, probably... 2,000 home visits where we go in the summers and we go, we bring backpacks, we meet with families and just drop off the backpack. If they're not there, we yell at you, hey, you know this guy? Is Julia, is Julio home? No, hey, tell him Mr. Ryan came. Who? Mr. Ryan, just tell him I'm coming, man. Hey, let him know first day. So you're just alerting the whole neighborhood. You're loud about it. And then the last one, creating a behavior system where it's focused on relationships. And you really put caring about kids first and how we talk to people first. And so that's that was the big culture of care. I don't know if the other stuff went in a, like in order, but that was like fourth chapter, and then we worked and put that first, but really creating that culture. And one of the things I have in the book, which is cool, is stuff you can ask staff to highlight and bring people in. Um, are they going to be a good teammate? Like, will they care about kids? You know, what does the research tell us about? Because the other thing about a PLC is you want to also do things that are research-based. So if John Hattie has all this research and says collective teacher efficacy is huge, where teachers work together and believe that they can make an impact on kids, then you should have collaborative teams because that's what he's saying. If he's saying student self-grading is a has an effect size that's pretty awesome, get kids part of the make kids be part of the assessment process. So so those are the things that we have, and I think is really important. 
Then the cool thing, is, you know, like you said, at the end of each chapter, I have a bunch of books they can read, and then we have a plan where they can create a culture of kids. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Seeing to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Seeing to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Jigsaw Learning. Whether you lead at the school, district, or division level, you're serving a wide array of students, and you know that no one person has all the answers when it comes to meeting each of their needs. That's why Jigsaw Learning helps leaders and their staff and faculty to develop a collaborative approach. Every child deserves a team. And when you put together the pieces of effective collaboration, you can realize that team's full potential. Connection relationships, and authentic collaboration are at the foundation of Jigsaw Learning's work. Through professional learning presented on-site, online, or a blend of both, Jigsaw's team of experienced learning associates works with you to develop a personalized plan to help collaborative response thrive in your organization. Learn why educators have described working with Jigsaw Learning as powerful, wonderful, and beneficial for all students. Visit jigsawlearning.ca and connect with the team for information. That's jigsawlearning.ca. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.